politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American taxpayers and Minutemen standing at the ready to restore our republic. This is your one and only Daniel Horowitz, host of CR Podcast, back in the house here Tuesday, April 21st, actually April 20th, um, getting a little bit ahead of myself, uh, trying to get on to Friday and end the week early. But I am a little bit uh, busy working on buying a new car for the first time in ages. Be my first SUV, crossover SUV. So, um, you know, I was thinking last night, I put out a request online, you know, one of these uh, aggregating websites uh, to look at a Toyota RAV4 and a Mazda CX-5. I was trying to see which one's better and test a couple of them. And I literally have Every single salesman in the Baltimore metro area reaching out to me, begging me for my business. Um, even from the same company, from the same dealership, they have, let's say they have four locations, each one wants me, and I'm like, "Well, I'm already, I'm already going to you." Yeah, but I want to sell you the car. And I was thinking, imagine if everything in our economy worked that way. I mean, look, government has its hands in everything indirectly. Certainly the cafe standards and making the cars, whatever. But at least in terms of buying the car, we don't have Medicare, Medicaid, subsidies, this and that. You're kind of on your own. It's one of the few things you still pretty much buy a car on your own. It really is. Cars really are one of the few remaining beacons of American liberty. Just a thought I had yesterday kind of dealing with something new. And I was thinking, imagine if everything was like that, where the consumer is king where you know you pay your own freight, but people compete for your business. Imagine if healthcare worked that way. Healthcare freedom. Well, folks, it is now exactly a year, April 20th, from when I wrote a column. I'm just going through kind of what I was saying and doing last April. A year ago, governors, not gods. State executives cannot simply do whatever they want indefinitely. And I was writing that in response to, at the time, what governors were doing for, by that point, about four weeks. Suspending gatherings, suspending church services, suspending businesses. They were just starting with the masks, but we could never, we, we never could have imagined it would blow, in, blow up into what it became, ultimately. And here we are, a year after that, and most states they still have indefinite power, and very few states have they even successfully reformed it at all. You know, we were floored. How could you just declare martial law beyond 24, 48 hours with today's communications and transportation? There's no reason the legislature can't convene. That was our point back then. Well, now we're on to 13 months and going on forever. And that's when we were talking about businesses. We never envisioned the bodily integrity of a human being would be compromised this long. With the criminalization of human breath, we're going to have on later today one of our really important experts, Megan Mansell, to answer your questions about masks, the science behind it, what we've learned this past year on why they don't work, why they probably spread the virus even more, 
and other harms that they cause. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Have you bought a pair of glasses, thrown them in the drawer, and never really worn them again? Or have you been told to go home and get used to your progressives? Well, we've got help for you. Better Spectacles is now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S. As you guys well know, Rodenstock is 144 years old. Um, They have the world's gold standard with over 500 patents. Fun fact, Ronald Reagan wore Rodenstock glasses. Uh, At Better Spectacles, they're expert opticians specialize in difficult prescriptions, astigmatisms, and those who experience problems with progressives like yours truly. Uh, Technology has caught up with your prescription. They can help you. Um, One of their specialties is helping people like myself with near and intermediate vision which is a common problem when you're looking at phone and data and writing all day like I do. Um, GoSpecs lenses from Rodenstock uses advanced algorithms for more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. They claim they get up to 40% better vision with no neck strain, which is really a forgotten um, ailment of glasses that don't work well for you. So here's what I want you to do. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. So you don't even have to leave your home. Um, it's not that they're tele. I mean, they have a real in-store, but they offer this, uh, which I need because I'm not in the mood of going in with a mask. Um These are some of the best uh, trained opticians in the country. They're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their GoSpecs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. It doesn't get better than that. Go to um, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservatives. Go now. Now, folks, before we bring on Megan just to delve into the masks, first the good news. Good news, then the bad news. Good news is Arizona. Okay, so we do have one governor that actually is relinquishing his royal powers. Uh, Doug Ducey, it actually did surprise me, becoming the second state um, to make it the official policy to say we shouldn't be masking children in school. Um, He noted that nearly 2 million Arizonans are fully vaccinated, with many teachers and school faculty now, now fully vaccinated. Um, teachers, families, and students have acted responsibly to mitigate the spread, yada, yada. Um, we'll continue with public health for, to work with public health professionals um, to return to school, but he noted that he's rescinding orders to direct mask mandates. Now, like always, whether the cities and the counties that are, you know, whatever, bluer or some even red will not listen to it, you know, this is going to be a fight. But that's the good news. The bad news is, in most red states, the tyranny is continuing, and in some of them, very seriously. It's amazing how a year ago today I wrote, can a state interminably violate the 1st, 5th, and 14th Amendments, confine Americans, and close their businesses indefinitely, regulate interstate commerce, all without federal intervention? And um, I talk about this craziness, and Trump back then was buying into all this, A president is not a king, but most certainly a governor, county commissioner, or sheriff is not a king either. We have natural rights given by God, and under no circumstances can any of those officials violate those rights indefinitely without due process, oversight, limitations, and checks and balances. And I basically talk about the 14th Amendment violations. I talk about how these are fundamental rights. Um, I quoted from a New York 
court case in the 1800s, the People versus Peter W. w. Roth, that a quarantine law can't sentence all persons well or sick, whether exposed to infection or not, to an unlimited imprisonment. The public health is doubtless an interest of great delicacy and importance. Whatever power is in fact necessary to preserve it will be cheerfully conferred by the legislature and carried into full effect by the courts. But it can never be permitted that even for the sake of the public health, any local inferior board or tribunal shall repeal statutes, suspend the operation of the Constitution, and infringe all the natural rights of the citizen. Um, and I called upon Trump to veto any spending bill without using the leverage in those bills to limit governors from, from doing this. And of course, it never happened, and the rest is history. And here we have the Idaho governor, Brad Chicken Little, in the state, the gem state, where people are flocking to escape from California. They're flocking there for Idaho values, for freedom. And this dirtbag governor, Brad Little, is acting like Gavin Newsom. He may as well be Gavin Newsom. So basically, they passed two bills, HP um, 135, SB 1136. They basically limited his powers to 60 days. 60 freaking days. See, here I was going crazy back then when they were doing it for about 30 without the legislature. 60 without until the legislature is required to affirm or continue it. And then it also prohibits certain things categorically, like closing businesses, closing churches, uh, preventing assembly. Remember, Idaho had one of the longest prohibitions on assembling in more than with groups of more than ten people than even my state of Maryland did. And importantly, the bill also HB one thirty five bars the health department from quarantining. Healthy people. That's really the core of the unscientific nature of what they're doing, as well as the unconstitutional nature, because that's not quarantine. You can't quarantine people without due process that don't have any prima facie symptoms of the virus. Yet the governor vetoed them. And yesterday, at least on the first bill, SB 1136, they, they conducted a veto override vote in the Senate. Now, just for your knowledge, Republicans have a 28 to 7 majority. In other words, they have a 4 to 1 majority in the state Senate. You need a 2 to 1 majority to override a veto there. They have a 4 to 1 majority. Yet, as always, the governor was able to flip five Republicans to sustain his veto, even though they voted for the original bill. So it was like, whatever it was, 23 to 12, missed the threshold by one vote, as always. They work it out perfectly. So in the state of Idaho, we can't even establish the proposition that a governor can't declare an emergency without the legislature for more than 60 days. 60 days is not enough time for dictatorial powers. If we can't have freedom in Idaho, where can we have freedom? This is at its core why I'm trying to create these state liberty strike force teams, Constitution Action Network. We need to bang away at these people. We need to primary all of them. And importantly, 
Brad Little needs to go. This is going to be a big priority. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan is probably running against him. I don't know if there's anyone else. There's some rumors about Raul Labrador. But whatever it is, you have to make sure they agree upon one candidate because there's no runoff there. So, you know, you're just going to split the conservative vote. You have to have one person run and challenge him. Trump said earlier, or yesterday maybe, that Republicans need to support the MAGA agenda. Well, now's your chance. Are you going to primary, Mr. President, all those governors who support the masking and the lockdowns and Fauci? Are you with Fauci or are you with Ron DeSantis, Mr. President? If you want more governors like Ron DeSantis, then endorse governors like Ron DeSantis. So we'll have a little bit more on some of what's going on in the legislatures tomorrow. But I did want to get to our special guest today. Now, folks, I have out today an article really delving into the particulars of particulates. Why masks don't work? We all know they don't. It's as clear as day. Anyone who has a brain in their head can see plainly that it's been spreading for 13, 14 months everywhere, regardless of when they did a mask mandate, how they did it, how many people complied. There is zero correlation much less proof of causation uh, behind mask wearing and reduction in spread or slow of spread. It's all natural, cyclical, geographical. Anyone with a brain knows this. Now, why? Why don't they work? Well, you know, it's kind of intuitive to some people. You cover your face. You would think it keeps stuff in. And I figured rather than just rehashing what I wrote today, which I certainly got a lot of help with from today's guests and some other people, we would have the real thing on today to really deal with it. And we've had Megan on before, back when I never could have imagined we'd still be talking about this, but here we are. Megan Mansell is one of our writers and researchers at Rational Ground. She's a former district education director over special populations integration. So she dealt with you know autistic children, um, disabled, immunocompromised, so very familiar with um, children's disabilities how to educate them in the proper environment. At the same time, she also has a background in hazardous environments PPE applications. So she understands the way masks work, the way human breathing works, the way viruses are transmitted. What better person to have on to discuss the cost-benefit analysis of masking, especially masking children, than Megan herself. Megan, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thank you so much for having me back, Daniel. It, it was a pleasure. Last well, time. I always quote you. We all had a blast last time, and I want to really deal with some of the things we didn't get to last time. So to start things off, obviously our audience already knows that masks don't work. They're pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what to do with it. Have you learned any new information or seen any new angles, either scientifically or behaviorally, um, from just watching the mass mandate continue for months on end? I feel like uh, people are just becoming minimally compliant. It, it, it has never pivoted to being about the actual scientific process of respiration and about, you know, putting a mask on your face isn't the same as putting a, a Band-Aid on a wound. There's pressure to deal with. There's 
um, you know, the, the output of, of respiratory waste. And so what I, what I like that we're seeing newly is a, a lot of um, information on respiratory particulate studies really breaking down, uh, you know, of human respiratory waste, how much of it is, you know, the little guys, as Stephen Petty says, um, how much of it is composed of the larger droplet that we were told to fear for so long, and then, you know, how um, the the different PPE applies to this. And, and I think one of the, the best ways that you can get it across to people is you can see it. And there are just so many studies now um, that that use, you know, an, an actual human or, or, or respiratory patterns and demonstrate, okay, respiratory is not a one-time, uh, you know, re- respiratory emissions are not a, a one-time, one-way activity. Um, and so then you're, you're looking at the membrane itself much more carefully. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that breakdown leads to, you know, where you you got into what I was saying in, in your article. We really have to break it down based on minimum viable particle size under pressure. That's what this is all about. It's about how to keep that out because when in and, and the behavior of that teeny tiny particulate, you've got a, a 0.06 micron particulate that you're putting pressure behind and even in the the best commercially available respirators, they don't filter exhale down to that uh, capacity, sure. especially the ones that you see, uh, you know, people people using, not the so higher grade. I, I think it's become clear. People realize by now that even if you could have posited a year and a half ago or whatever, 13, 14 months ago, that it's the big droplets, clearly just the fact that it's spreading so prolifically is very clear that it's the small ones that are suspended that travel far, but they'll always say this. All right, Daniel, you're right. You you start the conversation with the smallest particulates, and and those are going to be exhaled by the person who potentially has the virus. The mask is not going to stop it, and it's not going to protect you from it getting into you behind your mask. But here's the deal. But you can't tell me it doesn't stop some of the bigger ones, maybe. So doesn't it perhaps help a little bit? And isn't viral load very important in determining how critically ill someone gets? So maybe it it possibly reduces the viral load? Oh, there's so much that you just said that I would just love to dive into. (laughs) So, you know, the more fitted an apparatus is to your face and the greater the exhale pressure. So there's a difference between the amount of force behind a sneeze or a cough or a scream or blowing than than you would have just in general respiration. So you have those changes and then, you know, the actual matrix of whatever the apparatuses that you're exhaling through matters as well. And so the more force you have behind that exhale, you can create concentrated plumes as well as forced aerosolization of droplet through a membrane, which is taking those larger droplets and forcibly, you know, breaking it up. And anybody who says, oh, well, that's not a thing. I want you to go outside, put your garden hose on a mister setting and tell me if it remains as one droplet. We need to get into fluid dynamics as well as the behavior of those really tiny particulates. And what matters is 
if it is composed of that larger droplet, it normally would have fallen in about a predictable six-ish foot arc. And instead, you have something that you're sending into an 18 to 20 foot trajectory where it remains aloft uh, for hours, even days, uh, you know, just depending on, on your airflow patterns. You're no longer um, at the whim of, of gravity <laughs> with, with, with these particular... Wait, wait a minute. That's very important. Um, I, I want to flesh this out for our audience. So you're saying like this. You're saying that either way, masks are screwing us because... Most people don't even wear them properly. They're loose-fitting cloth or surgical masks. So it's just, it's a waste of time. It's as if there's nothing there. It goes out the sides, if not through the thing, because the pores are certainly much bigger than the virus. But even without that, just through the the, the sides and, and anyone who has done this with smoking, cigarettes, or You're other demonstrations people have given. Plume. The, the concentrated yeah. plume is what you really need to avoid. And, and what I show um, in a, a recent technical writing up I did is is show how you know these are being used by the people most likely to come into contact with novel pathogen who are your test site administrators and they're being used directly over testing materials contaminating site environment breathing right into your car uh, <laughs> you know these details matter when we're trying to call something source control and when sure. you source control can actually exacerbate <laughs> the issue at hand that's a really important thing to get into. So, so um, I want you to explain again how it exacerbates. You're saying it's kind of like a hose when you put it onto the mist setting. You're saying that, yes, when you don't have anything covering your mouth, so you'll have little things and big things, and the big ones will all drop, I mean, unless you're literally an inch away from someone's mouth and you spit right into their mouth, but most people are staying away from each other and it's going to fall to the ground and done. But you're saying that kind of like a balloon when you force pressure, if you cover your face with a mask, but it's not a respirator that's fully designed to seal, it's worse than having nothing because it takes the big ones and just like disperses it is that what you're saying disperses it in a in a pressurized plume along with all of the aerosols that were already coming out and you know the the more fitted the mask the more it has to either pop away from the face or concentrate that through the exhale vents or uh, pop away around the nose and eye area like you see in n95 and what's really critical is that 90% of exhaled respiratory emissions are within the under 0.3 micron range. And people want to say, oh, well, you're not just going to see a, a COVID virion just floating around by itself. But as part of a larger particulate, multiple COVID-sized virions can remain in one cluster and still uh, fall in that radically behaving particulate range and go easily out of the majority of masks and respirators. Um, and, and so then you're looking at, well, you're really only left with about 10% of particulate that fall within that, you know, droplet, droplet, droplet range. Well, you're not, you shouldn't be worried about the 10%. You should worry about the 90% first. But you also need to be worried about that 10% because the pressure of exhale 
through the membrane can turn that 10% into that other 90%. So the, the, the one thing you're not mitigating against, <laughs> you can exacerbate that as well. And so that, that, that's a really interesting point. You're saying it's not even the ones that officially the microfibers are small enough to keep out and they're only like 10% and they, and they go down as you get more contagious in terms of you know, the percentage of the virons, they get smaller and smaller. But you're saying even the bigger ones, the pressure helps disperse them into that plume, winds up aerosolizing them and making basic... So you're saying it would actually grow the viral load of virons that are potentially small it would, enough it to remain suspended. Viral load. It would increase your atmospheric viral load. It would increase it. It would then, increase it for, for anyone else and then putting, walking by, you know, let's putting say. Putting a, a mask on a transmissible positive individuals, uh, individual. I've been yelling this since the very start of this when our first COVID patients were released from the hospitals invented in 95. And it's like this, you're giving your PPE to the wrong people. They've already had it. Why do they need, you know, the the higher grade PPE to, to try to protect themselves from it? And also I'll mention that everybody forgot eye protection, which your eyes are connected to your respiratory tract. And that's a whole other part of the conversation. But you were getting to atmospheric viral load. So each person who's a transmissible positive within a given space is increasing atmospheric viral load with every breath that comes out of their mouth. Now, if you have a very transmissible individual in a small space, then you take that and you increase multiple people in a given space. They're also increasing their own viral load intake because they're breathing within that, that atmosphere of other people's expired respiratory waste. So when you have multiple people in a contained space like a hospital who are transmissibly contagious, they're also constantly re-exposing themselves at a higher atmospheric viral load. So it matters within the mask that you, you know, your respiratory waste is something you've ejected from your body saying, like, no thanks. I don't need this anymore. And so not only are you cycling back in through um, exhaled CO2 and decreasing your oxygen intake level, um, which higher oxygen levels help you fight off disease better. So that's something you, you really have to keep on track of when, uh, when, when you're dealing with sick people. But you're also increasing your own atmospheric viral load. This is something that I'd recommend talking to Zacharias Fogan about. And he gets into how um, masks can help uh, COVID virion become unbound from larger particulate on inhale uh, to be broken up into to, uh, more finer nebulized particulate. So either way, if it's a mask plus a transmissible positive individual, that's gotta that's gotta stop being a, um, something that we're we're pushing. Um, the the mask. So one of the things we've seen. Yep. One of the things we've seen from the studies that have come out, we have the big Drunik German study that was published in Aerosol Science and Technology, where he really looked at. Uh, different cloths and and what they do and what you know you know what what's the size of the particulates and what percentage and everything and one of the things that he observed is that 
you know, surgical masks as well as cloth masks never have a perfect fit on the face. And it's one of the reasons why in studies investigating filter efficacies of masks under real life conditions, they seem to work significantly less in real life than these mannequins and these lab, you know, studies where they blow stuff through, 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 uh, you know, different cloths and different materials. Could you explain why, why that's the case? Because there are many, many different kinds of respirators for the many, many different kinds of faces we have. And <laughs> when you're, when you're looking at the many kinds of faces we have, we need to bring children into that conversation because we have districts, requiring mandated use when there are no efficacy standards for child size masks. Every mask you see on a child in your school system is completely unregulated. They're being required to be basically tested with unregulated apparatuses um, that when you see parent groups taking those apparatuses and getting them tested, the microbial challenges, the, um, the friable fibers they're inhaling all day, as well as decreased oxygen and CO2, if you had a respirator that you were working, um, that you were using in a workplace, you would have medical clearance, you would have medical consent involved in the conversation, as well as a fit test by a certified um, respirator applications expert who would be able to, to show you, well, that, that's not going to work for you because you have facial hair or uh, that's not going to work for you because your, you know, your, your facial structure or you don't have ears. So when you have like this one size fits all thing that you're trying to apply to the public sector, you already need to see how it is applied to the public sector in other areas and find its limitations there because they're already clearly outlined and they exist. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's really important to get down to the like actual protective value of something before not only recommending it, but trying to require its use on people, um, especially when yep. it's used. If, if you're telling people, well, you have to use this and you have to use it properly, you can't tell uh, me that, that men of certain religions in this country um, should have to shave their facial hair when that can be an indicator of marriage or uh, status within a, a religious organization. So this, this comes into play in multiple areas under our Constitution, multiple areas under OSHA and ADA and IDEA that can all be clearly outlined as, as, as being outright violate and it shocks me it shocks me how there's no lawsuits to speak of i mean there is one in the cobb county georgia school district but very few given the egregious violations um i do want to get back to some of the harms a little bit later but still continuing along the lines of efficacy first n95 so i want to get to that level um a lot of people are confused about that as well i think especially people in this audience certainly get the fact that the surgical and cloth masks don't seem to work but N95, so, you know, intuitively, most people think, wow, okay, you know, it's, especially if it's form-fitted, it electrostatic charge, and, you know, they're pretty small, it should work. Um, and, and indeed, in, again, in the lab studies, they seem to do very well, but in real life, even N95s, now, mind you, if everyone were wearing a form-fitted N95, you'd have a lot more people dropping, <laughs> you know, from yeah. lack of oxygenation, and it would never Absolutely, get off the ground, so which is why it's not even happening. <laughs> 
Yeah, but 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 let's just let's just indulge that for a minute. It's not it's not viable, and there's a reason it's not happening. But let's say everyone would wear a form fitted N95 in school, ten hour work shifts. Again, it could never really happen in, for the large population. But let's say it would. Would it necessarily be efficacious against this virus? The studies that I've seen on workplace required proper use of it has about an 80% efficacy. The 95 is for 95% particulate blocked within that given size range. But it's not to say it's 95% effective. It's to say 5% of particulate within that size range still gets through. So then you'd consider something like a a P100 where it's way closer to 100%, but not quite. Um, and, And I mean, 100% of particulate blockage, not 100% efficacy. But the more fitted you get, the less amount of time you can breathe in it. If I were personally truly concerned about this, I wouldn't go N95. N95 is the baseline minimum under OSHA standards for the given particulate grade to offer some kind of protective value against that particular range. And that's due to the composition of the matrix. It's not a woven matrix. It's more like if you took your hands and you put a bunch of glue between them and you stretched them and there'd be these little, it's, it's in such a way that they can get wedged and, uh, and smaller particulates can still get through. Anyway, that's, that's, the design concept within N95 is that there's smaller areas where, where it can get wedged. But, you know, you, you've also got to think of your use application. Are you outside in a field or are you in a 10 by 10 room with three individuals who are transmissibly contagious? Like these things matter. And when, when you have that first, instead of, you know, looking at the PPE is, is obviously if you're in a treatment facility and you do have multiple contagious individuals and you're trying to prevent it, I would then be going to, to higher grade respirators. Most definitely. That's just the absolute baseline minimum standard that workplaces uh, can require for that given particular range. So it's kind of, you know, at, at the beginning there was this like N95 or fear for your lives kind of thing. And, and, and it's, it's not wrong in that um, you're talking about PPE grades and the not, not requiring or recommending anything subgrade, which is important. But the baseline minimum is not the gold standard, and that needs to be, like, clearly defined. Um, you know, there, there are also a, a lot of reasons that people can't wear N95s in a workplace, and that's when medical consent and medical clearance come into the conversation um, that we're requiring these on pregnant women when there are vast and multitudinous studies out there showing that, you know, you have decreased oxygen intake, you have um, increased CO2 intake, and you're um, exposing the, the unborn to this and have fourfold stillbirth rates in developed countries, you need to be looking at your, your respirator requirements and, medical consent and medical clearance is part of the conversation most definitely 
Uh, because medical I, consent, yeah, obviously, you know, you put yeah. a put a device on someone, you got to get their consent, and I think we've uh, we've lost that. And, and obviously, as, as disclosure for this show, we're just purely talking about the physics and the science, um, you know, as if we're lab rats. So that that's all we want to do is, is just scientifically what works doesn't work. Obviously, you know, legally, we've talked about that a lot. I want to continue along the lines of a couple more scientific questions people might sure. have. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what infects people the most. So we know not all virons are, are created equal. We got the big guys. We got the little guys. Um, we've already stated that it's pretty obvious to people that if the virus were mainly transmitted through large droplets that aren't microbiology that you could see, you know, it would be ex exceedingly rare that it would transmit because rarely does that get into someone else's mouth directly. It drops. But let's say it even did. I mean, Isn't like, if you true? have a two-year-old, yes, this happens. The droplet getting into your mouth. Normally, <laughs> yes. normally we keep enough distance and have enough composure yes. in public spaces not to directly sneeze <laughs> in a stranger's mouth. Especially now. Especially <laughs> now. I mean, that's, yeah. the, you know, just the basic common sense is keeping that away, you know, except when I hold my baby on my shoulder and obviously she'll, you know, sneeze at any moment and you don't know right in your face. That's the only time I remember that in my life. But and I just want to get to did. the dynamics here even if she did, that would probably go into your saliva. That would probably end up, you know, go, being so. That's what I want you to explain. into your digestive juices, which is a, a gross phrase. So, so you're, you're, but, you're saying just to to make this clear, I want you to explain to people why it's not just the fact that the smaller ones suspend more and get in through the mask more than the big ones, and they, you know, they uh, they go farther. But also in terms of infecting someone, getting into their deep lungs. Explain why there's, it's the little guys that are more dangerous. There's two important things here. There's two important factors with respiration. So you inhale far more deeply uh, of the smaller particulates. You inhale far more deeply when you're wearing a mask than general respiration, which is generally through your nose. Um, when you're wearing a mask, you mostly inhale through your mouth. And do you see people out there whose whose masks like pop against their lips when they're they're inhaling, and then you're, you're sucking in everything on that mask during that time? But um, you you inhale more deeply um, those those finer particulates. They're capable of reaching the far deeper in the lungs than um, the the larger particulates, um, and and that's why. The particle size really matters with um sorry, I had it interrupted. <laughs> um the that's like Yeah, well I know you got I, I know you got your kids there and um so you're used to getting sneezed upon and you you definitely recognize this, but that's important for people to realize. It's the hidden stuff and, and what I think you and I are talking about today is really the science behind the graphics that our buddy Ian Miller created and we've seen from some others that no matter how you slice the pie, the non-pharmaceutical interventions literally do not change any of the trajectory geographically of what the virus was slated to do. And we now understand it because it's the small ones that are more numerous, that are more problematic, and that suspend for longer and they go longer. And you're not going to stop that 
Um, like we always talk about, the way to deal with this is with early treatment. And obviously, if you want to talk about transmission, it's this filtration. There's um, uh, diluting things. There's there's filters that help kill the things. But to just walk into it with a with a cheap mask, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So we certainly get that. I do want to deal with one more premise before we go to the harms. One more premise on the efficacy side. I want you to explain once and for all. Um, the biggest lie, probably the central lie of the masking cult, is the one-directional um, effectiveness. Because, um, obviously, if masks were so effective, so then, you know, the argument is, okay, so let me be the stupid one to want to get the virus. I won't wear it. But you, you know, how am I affecting you? You got your great protection. You have your mask. Um, it works greater than a vaccine, according to Redfield. Um, you're good to go. So they came up with this convoluted premise that somehow, no, 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 it only prevents, it doesn't protect uh, you on inhaling, it it prevents the guy who has the virus from exhaling it. So, you know, if he didn't have the mask or if you potentially have it and you don't have a mask and you exhale it, even if I have a mask, somehow it's going to get in. Based on what you're telling me, isn't it true that if anything, the opposite is more correct? Yeah. Masks don't seem to work either way. But if they were to work, isn't it true that if anything, if if it's the guy who has the virus, the the source guy, um, is he's the guy breathing into the mask with pressure? If if you're telling me that a mask stops that it certainly would stop me from walking into a stagnant plume and if it doesn't stop me from walking into a stagnant plume as they're saying it sure as heck is not going to stop the pressurized stuff right right and 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 so what you have then is that that's why osha really comes into play in the conversation because to require somebody to wear a an expressly non-mitigating apparatus for known pathogen of a given particulate size and corresponding behavior under OSHA would be a clear-cut violation. And to say, to say to somebody, okay, well, we're doing some asbestos cleanup today, but my shipment of proper-grade respirators it didn't come in in time, but I really need to get this job done. So my wife made this with some old fabric and it's not sterile or anything. You're going to be breathing through it and it doesn't protect you against the correct particle grade, but I just feel like you'll be better. You know, you'll feel better if you have something on your face, won't you? You know, it, it, it's not actually addressing the reality of the risk at hand, which is, you know, your exposure to a given per particle of a given particle size and so you had a supply chain issue at the beginning and instead of saying we have a supply chain issue with proper grade respirators here are some behavioral and environs controls you can implement while we address the supply chain issue or you know try to prove a way to move the baseline which hasn't been done during this time um, instead of that we just had people with this road to hell paved with good intentions that, okay, well, some people just said, well, we have to do something. We have to do something for, for others and we'll, we'll make things. But what, where that really went to skew is that we, we never actually got specific enough about what is protective. And we have things like um, our, our health departments 
handing out 16,000 cloth handmade masks directly to vulnerable uh, communities, our, our adult care facilities and nursing homes. <laughs> so um, when, when all we ever really had to begin with was an OSHA issue in saying we don't have enough correct grade respirators, but we want people to still keep the workforce going. Um, and the, the real people affected there were the essential workers who, um, who weren't, you know, the, the doctors who they were reserving things for. Um, there was a, a defined caste system reaction um, with our PPE distribution in this country. So one one other point I wanted to get to, I know you got your kids there, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time out <laughs> on okay. short notice. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to get to is the flip side of this. So, you know, we've proven that it really doesn't help in terms of protecting you from, from the virus. But in terms of the harms, the, the problem I've had psychologically with people is that God created the human body and the human psyche in a way that you could really adapt to circumstances and and situations that if you were to project out in the future, wow, if this were to happen, people would just drop dead or this wouldn't get off the ground. There's no way you're going to have kids wear a mask and learn for seven, eight hours a day in school. That's not going to get off the ground. But, you know, shockingly, we do have this ability to adapt and and just kind of go on and just make the best of it. And what has concerned me is people, you know, maybe they'll complain a little bit, but it's not like kids are dropping dead. People aren't seeing apparent harms, not really. And they're like, you know, they're not seeing the harms. What would you suggest um, people argue before their school boards about the, the harms that they're not seeing uh, that's taking a toll on our kids? Well, I would begin with, babies and I would begin with language and critical social cue development for children and I would say your babies have to be able to emulate and view tooth tongue and lip placement for speech onset as well as uh, be able to see your face for social and emotional cue development and these missed milestones um, can be without remediation later in life they can also um, you know this is something that I hadn't really thought about until your wife brought it up um, was was about how those missed language and social cues can very easily uh, in a clinical setting mimic autism um, and and it would be very hard to differentiate one from the other it's it's based on self-reporting largely for a spectrum di- diagnosis and um, those missed language and social cues are, are, are critical for human growth and development. I would talk about um, the harms of in uh, our, our children being taught by anonymous people uh, in, in schools that we can't access. You can't go there and view your child. You're not welcome. You must drop them off at the doors, at the gates every day, and you, you don't know what they're being taught. You don't know what they're being exposed to, but it's not natural to have children fear touch and proximity. This is how we breed a genera- generation of antisocial sociopaths. Um, that's, that's how that behavior gets instilled to begin with, the, the fear of others, the, the, the touch of others as otherly and unclean and um, 
And so I would also talk about the harms in reproductive development and how um, with a mask you can, you know, it, it doesn't block the pathogen at hand. You know, think about that. It doesn't block the pathogen at hand, but it can block pheromones, range uh, particulates. And so, you know, those initial love interest things, uh, you, you have a, a, a total assault on our reproductive age groupings because they're having uh, the, the vaccine pushed on them, which doesn't have any longitudinals with reproductive age groupings, while they're also having the, the, the forced antisocial uh, behavior pushed on them, the forced separation behavior pushed on them. And uh, there was a, a huge natality decline post-1918 Spanish flu. And it, 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 it certainly, um, you know, can, can be looked at as having multiple contributing factors. But, but I think behavior as well as we're, we're assaulting the human reproductive system um, through uh, oxygenation and hypercapnia, the, the, you know, the, you're, you're putting something on a child that can cause Legionnaire's disease and can, uh, you know, have, cause facial deformities and ear deformities. And there's just so much going on right now with that, while also being completely unregulated. Your whatever your children learned, completely unregulated. There's nothing else that you will give a child. Their toys have to go through extensive safety testing. Their seat belts, you know, or not seat belts, their car seats and every other apparatus you bring into your home for a child. But this that affects their breathing, that affects their development, that um, their their interpersonal communication. It's just absolutely atrocious and. And, you know, our, our school systems also and our public sector, it, it would be a terrible time to be hard right now or, you know, part of the, the death culture in our country because they've just been uh, no public meetings or providing translators or closed captioning. You're just completely left out of society right now. And sure. No, I mean, certainly the people the with, with disabilities and, and, and how many people that includes. Sorry. And I was shocked to realize it's not even all of, you know, not all of the places that are for special education are doing without masks. I know my sister is a speech therapist, and I think it like it depends. Some are sane enough to drop it for that. Some are not. And so even for them, uh, you know, some sometimes they're continuing the mandates, which is just uh, shocks the consciousness. But I just want you to finish with one point here. And one of the physical harms, we talk about the mental behavioral language development um, in terms of oxygenation. So, again, you know, people see that these kids don't drop dead right away because, again, they're not form fitted um, things that for the most part, you're not going to have. Uh, breathing problems immediately. But is there a concern that if you wear this and kind of slowly deny full oxygenation for long periods of time while the brain cells are developing, that there's going to be some subtle long-term damage? Absolutely there can be. And, and you know, especially when we, we think of this most critically in, in unborn children because there's so much monitoring that goes on when you're pregnant. You're telling me you're not allowed to eat brie, but you're going to put on something that shows increased uh, CO2 saturations with off-the-chart levels within 90 seconds? 
Um, I mean, and I like to put these things in terms of, okay, here's what we're seeing done. Would this pass an ethics review? Would it pass an ethics review for uh, children to be required to wear something for eight, nine months, for eight to 12 hours a day um, that has uh, microbial growth? They're going to wear them in the bathroom to, you know, catch, you know, increase the rate of fecal oral transmission through bathroom plumes. They're going to drop it. They're going to sweat in it on the playground. They're going to put it on the lunch table. Um, They're going to maybe trade it with a friend or something of that nature. Um, Would that that pass an ethics review to to put a study in place? Of course not. But that is literally what is being done to all of our children in school systems in this country. And, uh, but and ethics has gone out the window. That That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Would it pa- pass an ethics review? It certainly would not. Look, we covered a lot in these 40 minutes. There's certainly a lot more where this came from. We'll definitely have you back again. As always, Megan, uh, what we do with all our guests, uh, this is a give-and-take forum. So if people have questions... Um, you know, and they, they need advice. Are you willing to help out? Is there any way people could contact you and follow your work? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't stand up and say something that's so against the grain without expecting people to have questions about it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mamasaurus Meg. That's M-A-M-A-S-A-U-R-U-S Meg M-E-G. Um, I'm on Rational Ground. Um, I have a a full reopening guide for the public sector as well as schools. And then um, I I have some case comparison data um, and go into the um, particle physics misapplications in regards to PPE and fluid dynamics, as well as the, the rampant law violations. And so I have a a bunch of different things up on rational ground and on any of my articles on there, uh, my email address is on there to contact me as well. I'm happy to help out. Uh, I frequently uh, do Zoom calls for people's school districts so that they can get yelled at by somebody who can speak to them as an equal. So, uh, let me know if perfect, anybody needs help perfect. With that That's too. what people need. Yeah. People, everyone feels this is wrong. Most people do. They just need someone to speak out. So we really appreciate you doing what you're doing. We'll send you uh, the questions from our audience. Megan, thanks so much for your work and, and, and keep fighting for us. And folks, that's what we're here for. Um, giving you the full picture, as Megan said. Um, we do things in long form. We revisit them. We come back to them. We follow up. Um, it's a lot easier to do a drive-by like so many other people do in this business, but we really delve into an issue from all different angles, and I'm thankful for having some of these experts to draw upon because um, we really need help. We need people. We need lawsuits. It's shocking to me how slow it is, but you know, a lot of people felt, look, they're not going to get involved in pandemics, and I'm telling you not that I have any trust in most judges – but we got to try. I mean, the, the case is so much more compelling as time goes on. Um, there is a lawsuit, by the way, in Minnesota. Let Them Play. It's an organization there uh, advocating for child sports that that were terminated because of that animal governor, Tim Waltz. Um, in their amended complaint in, I believe it's federal court there in Minnesota, in the federal district of Minnesota, um, Waltz's political consultant actually um, 
they show how they engaged in a plan to falsely blame kids for the COVID spread and deaths. It's, it's pretty amazing. There's a quote there, Governor is wanting LTC to be thinking about being proactive and aggressive as LTC or long-term care, like nursing home deaths, going back, going back up. Um, as people push back on youth sports and whether they really need to be ended, we need to be more explicit in tying youth sports to LTCs. Um, people are going to youth sports, sitting in the bleachers, eating popcorn and talking with people around them, cheering, then maybe stopping at a restaurant or bar on the way home, then going to, to jobs in LTC the following day. You see how they wanted to find a way to say kids' sports are responsible for nursing home deaths. Um, when what's responsible for nursing home deaths is locking down elderly people with zero vitamin D for already deficient people and not giving them prophylactic treatments to deal with that and instead have the promise of somehow keeping the virus out, which was never going to happen. These people should be charged with murder and they have the nerve to blame children. This is the most unethical thing, COVID fascism that is, the masking that has ever been perpetrated on humanity. Um, I don't know if we'll live for a time when there will be a Nuremberg-style reprisal, but we do know there is a God in heaven, in the heavenly court, who is keeping track. That's why we believe in an afterlife. This world is but a blip on the map. That's all we have left. Um... We do know they will have their just desserts one day. But folks, I wanted you to guys to get the best facts on all angles of the mass mandate. We did, you know, the legalities last year, last week. This week, I wanted to focus again on the science. So we have an article out explaining some of what Megan was talking about and linking to some of the studies. It's up on The Blaze today. You just Google my name in The Blaze. You'll see my latest articles. As always, you could sign up for our ConAction Network teams, ConAction.network, our uh, Liberty Strike Force teams to fight for liberty in your states. Send this show to 50 of your friends and relatives. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you for listening, and have a terrific day. Thank you.